Aloha, welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. Today's episode of From the Archives is with Rachel Morrison ASC. Wait a minute, Oscar nominee Rachel Morrison ASC. This would be the film she received her Oscar nomination for. We talked with her about six weeks before that announcement was made, so it's really cool to look back and enjoy and see what has happened for Rachel. You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha, I'm Paul Booth. Welcome to Talking Pictures. Today, we are so jazzed because we love the ASC. We have some buddies over there. You can go in the archives, check out more episodes. Rodney Taylor, Emmy nominee for Ballers. Our buddy, Richard Crudo. Tons of stuff. I love that guy. He's done so much for the show. Today, we're going to be talking with cinematographer Rachel Morrison. We're going to be discussing Mudbound, but we're also going to see if she's up for it to talk a little bit about Cake with Jennifer Aniston. She, uh, Rachel also shot Fruitvale Station, that epic Ryan Coogler movie about the racial problem in Oakland. And she's working on a new Marvel movie, but we'll stay quiet about that because we are here for Mudbound, and I think I said it, but if I didn't, she shot What Happened to Miss Simone, which is one of the coolest music documentaries ever made about the incendiary, legendary, every great adjective in the world that describes Miss Nina Simone. Welcome. Hi, Paul. How are you Hello. today? I'm well, thank you. Fantastic. I was just uh, going through your... Very wonderful body of work. Congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, some good stuff here. I know I know we're going to discuss uh, Mudbound and some questions here relating to uh, historical films. First question is because to someone like me who is, uh, is, uh, produces indie films, doesn't pay attention to the gear, uh, you know, what was Mudbound shot on? Um, sure. Yeah, we so we wanted to shoot on film. Everything about this, you know, this narrative sort of screamed celluloid. I mean, both you know, for one thing, all of our references from some, you know, some of these references were documentarian Les Blanks work from like the seventies and eighties, sixties, seventies, and eighties, and then you know, of course, all the Farm Security Administration photography, which was probably my greatest reference, and so. It was sort of a it, it was a no brainer except for the budgetary constraints, and um, thankfully our producers didn't rule it out completely. But they sort of uh, they they sort of made, made us test film versus digital to sort of make a case for film. But then they sort of simultaneously crunched the numbers, and ultimately we were presented with the option of shooting film and losing two shoot days, or shooting digitally. And I think with this this the scope of what we were trying to pull off for the time and money that we had. It was sort of, it felt like an impossible feat with the, I think it was 29 principal days and, and two days in Europe. And to lose two of those just, it was not feasible. So, so film was sort of off the table almost before we began. But, but in testing, you know, I was really experimenting with ways to make digital look like film, you know, as best as I could. And um, where we landed was we shot on the Airy Mini, which at, at the time had just gotten the open gate uh, 
the open gate and four three upgrades. So you know, so we could, sorry, open gate and raw upgrades. So we could shoot raw on the mini, which just provides a little more latitude. And open gate is just a slightly bigger portion of the sensor. Um, and then using older kind of a mixture of anamorphic and spherical glass, but, but anamorphic kind of inherently has a softening quality around the outside of the glass. And then the older anamorphic glass, the more pronounced, the older the glass is, the more pronounced that softening is. And the same is sort of true to some extent, not quite as much, but with the older spherical glass. So basically I was sort of picking glass that had imperfections and kind of helped to sort of add an analog feel to it. And then I ended up, you know, bumping up the, the ASA rating in camera to kind of introduce a little bit of digital noise. And then I knew we would, of course, add grain and post too. So, you know, at the end, it's not a perfect match for film. I don't think anything is, but, um, but it was sort of, that, the goal was to get as close as we could. Oh, okay. I see this. Uh, what, what, what I love about your, I think you're the third or fourth ASC member is I, I love interviewing you guys because I got D's in cinematography class in film school. And right, right. I think cinematography to me is very much like math, right? I mean, you're figuring out the exposure and you're calculating where this should come from here. And, you know, you know, cinematographers of your level know that six inches could make a complete difference. And uh, so Thank you for, you know, laying that out. And I, I just wanted Sorry, to comment yeah, real I think quick. I went down. No, no, that was perfect. That was great. The, you know? uh, black hole. Yeah, no, we want, we want the audience uh, to have fun and also learn, you know, we have, we have, and the, uh, the thing that was, uh, that I, the, the next question I had was, uh, well, first of all, I, I should have told the audience, Mudbound coming to Netflix, November 17th. Quick synopsis, two men return home from World War II to work on a farm in rural Mississippi where they struggled to deal with racism and adjusting to life after war. Now, of course, and you don't have to answer anything personal. The show doesn't get personal. But if you go where you want, these are two of our biggest issues right now, whether it's World War II, Vietnam, Iraq, guys coming home adjusting and racism. So how did this play into the process of working with uh, the director, Misty Rees? Well, there's also a, a storyline that I guess didn't quite make it into the, the summary of the film, but, um, but of uh, Laura returning, basically uh, being sort of almost held captive in her own relationship, you know, kind of being susceptible to her husband's whims and brought to this farm for a life that she didn't sign up for. So it also explores sort of gender. Um, for me, it was sort of the cross-section of gender inequality and race inequality, which is just so, you know, it is so timely. You know, and of course, the PTSD of, of returning home from war as well. I mean, that's an issue that I think probably will will never be resolved. I mean, maybe they never, maybe they all will never be resolved, unfortunately. But um, right. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think... For me, especially with the world as messy and fucked up as it is, and, and when I signed on to Mudbound, it was pre, pre-Trump being elected, and I think we all had hopes that we would go a different direction. But, he, but even then, I, you know, I guess I've gotten to this point where I feel like uh, making 
making films is not just for entertainment's sake. It kind of, I really believe that, that it needs to also have a, a social messaging um, element, you know, or else it's not worth all the time that, you know, we all put into it or, or put into watching it. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's sort of been my stance, I guess, for a little while now. So, you know, when I read the script, I was so moved by so many components, you know, in the story and felt like there was so much to say. And then Dee, of course, has this incredible track record of, of you know, making great work that has, you know, a, a message and has some form of, of impact. Um, and so I just felt like it was, it was rife, rife for collaboration. Oh, well, thank you. That's a wonderful, wonderful answer. And just on a side note, uh, Dee Rees directed Bessie, and congratulations on being an Emmy nominee. I know members of the ASC do it for the art, but congratulations to you for that. Oh, thank um, you. Uh, working on What Happened, Miss Simone. We won't go into these two films, but I'm like a blues junkie, so uh, it was interesting as I was doing my research to see that you guys had work both done projects on these iconic singers uh, that had a historical tie. Now with the, what you said about the gender, uh, I'm seeing here, Laura McCallan played by Carrie Mulligan. Uh, yeah. Is there anything at all i mean i know i i know where we draw the line is there is there any tiny part you can you can elaborate on if not that's cool but about about gender inequity in the in the film is that what you mean um yeah yeah just because uh, this i mean like i you know for me like i'm the i'm uh what you brought up was so perfect because i'm you know i would have just went through this and thought okay you know a couple of guys come home and white guys give them crap and I mean, I would have still watched yeah, no, it. I but mean, the, the challenging thing about this film is it's an adaptation of a book. And of course, with a book, you know, there's sort of, you have the time for many different intersecting storylines. And, you know, it, it, it's not, they're not all evenly weighted, but they do kind of, the, the way that they're threaded through the, through the, through the narrative of the book, it, it does feel like, um, it just, it, it feels like you can kind of, uh, it's easier, I guess. Well, I don't, I don't know how to put this because actually Dee really blew me away with how she handled the ensemble cast nature. But I think for me, the challenge going into Mudbound is, is now that people's attention spans are, you know, 90 minutes, if that, uh, like back in the day when Altman made his movies and his ensemble cast, you know, kind of I mean, oh. epic stories, people, people would sit through a three hour film and you really got to do justice to each of the character lines. Now, I think, you know, we sort of, we, we, the reason why the great sort of character dramas have gone to television is because people kind of can only take things in small doses. And so my fear going into Mudbound was that we, there were so many stories to tell how, how would it all work? And I think that Dee actually did a really great job in kind of encapsulating all of it, but you can see even in, you know, in summarizing the film, how it got kind of, shortened to just be about these two the two storylines when, when in reality Laura's plays a big part and there's you know Hap who's Hap Jackson who's Ronzel's father you know has his own through line and kind of the relationship between you know man and, and the land and the American dream I mean there's so much going on in, in this story and to sort of do it any kind of justice in in you know 100 minutes I think is, is quite an accomplishment by by our director um but Sorry, I think I digressed a little bit. Laura's storyline. No, no, that's, that's great. Comes... No, I mean, that's fantastic because you brought up Altman. 
you, you, there's, we have keywords at the show, like you can say Altman, but you can't say shortcuts or the player, or we can right, kind right. of let guests say a director, but if they say a film, then I take the train way off the track. So that was a perfect <laughs> answer to, um, I actually wanted to mention Jason Mitchell, uh, about a year ago, he was on our show. Um, and this is all on IMDb, so I'm not messing up any of the characters that are in the movie. Uh, yeah, it's I not just wanted to. I mean, this isn't this isn't like uh, you know. Obviously, I'm also sort of dealing with Marvel and Black Panther right now, where right, you know yeah, I right. can't say anything or or I have to turn around and see it's behind me. But I think with this film, it's it's fine to sort of. I mean, I actually think the more people know about it going in, probably the better. Yeah, he and you know, and what I was going to say about Jason was was he did the show on his lunch break of Kong Skull Island, and I thought it was just so close to him playing Easy E, and I just thought we had no in, we had no, you know, it was just a fluke, and so I just wanted to say, you know, for for us for the show, this is another special reason to pay attention to this movie because we we love. Meredith, we love uh, that Jason Mitchell did that for us. It was kind of like giving us a legitimacy card the way he was by his guys. Um, so, yeah, and, and Jason's a, a real tour de force in this film. He's so incredible um, and a lovely person as well. But I think he'll be really, really, I mean, I guess he's already seen it. So I, I found his performance really just breathtaking. Well, actually, here, here's the thing. I, I, I haven't seen it because it's, okay. they, I, I've been told it comes to Netflix. So that's why I was really interested because I, uh, I'm very interested in like the World War II aspect. Um, like one of those questions that I had sent, uh, you had your art director as, uh, and I might, if I pronounce this wrong, please correct me, David J. Bamba. Uh, that's right. He, yeah, he'd done historical films like Walk the Line, which I interviewed Faye and Papa Michael. Uh, as you were talking about dealing with Marvel, I'm fortunate that sometimes when I interview you guys, you guys tell me stories that I have to keep as secret as, well, you guys, it's <laughs> not a secret. I can't, I can't repeat. Uh, so it was interesting to hear creating Johnny Cash's world. So when I saw that you worked with him and that he also did Apollo 13, uh, how much more, or sorry, to what extent was it easier for you that you had a guy who had, you know, created a Johnny Cash world, created Apollo 13, uh, worked with historic elements before, so there didn't have to be any kind of learning curve? Oh, I mean, it was it was great. It was such a blessing. I mean, I think, you know, this is a much smaller film than any of the ones you mentioned. And so, you know, we had David had a lot less to work with. And yet his uh, his fidelity to the truth and to accuracy and to detail was was, you know, was no less than than perfect. And so I think, you know, he really did become somebody that we could lean on for the, the authenticity check and, you know, to make sure we weren't cheating anything that wouldn't actually be true. Um, and yeah, I mean, also what he was able to do with so little was, was really incredible. Now, what, what do you have to do as a cinematographer when you know that it's up to the production designer and the art director to bring you the sets, the costumes, the, 
I, I've always wondered how that play, th- plays into it. I I think it's about, uh, you know, establishing a very clear line of communication and sort of letting them know, you know, how how they can help you or and how they can help you to help them. I mean, it, you know, I, I believe that cinematography is really only as good as locations meet production design. We can we can always make things better, but we can never take a you know bare white room and make it into you know something entirely other than what it is. And so, you know, I try to be clear about sun direction as an example. You know, there's no point location scouting the perfect location facing north when you know most people know that the backlight is all is all sort of chasing chasing the south on this on this hemisphere um so right. just being clear about what what one needs to make you know to help sort of do justice to their work you know and the same is true for you know if everybody i mean as one example like you know if, if everybody leans too far into the same color palette let's say the design is, you know, beige and then the costumes are beige and suddenly there's suddenly there's no color separation. So it's making sure that everybody sort of, you know, loops into the same to, to the same thread of communication so that we're we're sort of we become an additive force as opposed to something that could become, you know, subtractive or, or just too much. But yeah, I think I think, you know, the main thing from from the outside is just communication. And then beyond that it's it's, you know, politely asking for what you need to, to help them to, to make their work shine, you know, and sometimes that's window treatments. Sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's little things that you often wouldn't even think of, but usually all, all the great production designers and, and set decks that I know are, are eager to kind of hear what, what they can do to help you to help them, you know? Uh, okay. Cause I, ooh, I, I'm, I'm sure you'd gotten the email with the questions when we had, when Thomas on it, it was very, it, it was easy cause he's such an easygoing guy, but, it was tough because his, his by by the time he was doing production design, director, cinematographer work. I mean, he went to film school with the same guys, and he had done like eight films with them. So it was like, you know, of course it was going to be easy, and there wasn't going, you know, there was going to be a shorthand, and there wasn't going to be. So it was just like, oh, I asked for this, and I asked for that, and so I had always wondered when there wasn't this storied, you know, 15 or 20 year career or more of films, what the same process is. So as a cinematographer, um, if you don't mind, I would, I would really like to ask a question about cake, if that's okay with you. Yeah, Um, we'll see, we'll see how much I remember. Okay. Yeah, no, whatever, whatever works. Um, I mean, that, that's obviously a very personal and hard film. Uh, we lost a family member to that. And uh, that had come out a couple of years, maybe two or three years after. And it was this kind of weird, enlightening experience of seeing the privacy of what she went through but then knowing what it led to. So how did, because like you had mentioned, you were mud bound tied together three gender equality, race equality, and the issues we're having with veterans. Um, and you like, you were saying you liked social issues. What, what was it like going into this kind of, where it was the epidemic it was at the point, and then kind of in hindsight, the epidemic that it's become. 
Um, I don't know if I honestly was thinking about it completely in line with the epidemic, because I think for that one, I approached it much more as a, you know, a, a character study. You know, the other, my other sort of, uh, I guess, um, the other thing I fall for in narratives is really sort of detailed and intimate character pieces, you know, and, and seeing somebody who is, you know, so um, distraught or, or, you know, I mean, I guess it, it depends on the film, but so for this, it wasn't just a, a look at opiate addiction and things like that. It was also the study of a, of a woman who was wrought with pain. And I guess this is a bit of a spoiler, but, you, you know, come to find out that it's from the loss of her son, which um, I think I approached it maybe at the intersection of those two points. You know, I think to make it purely an, a study of sort of opiate addiction, would have minimized the specificity of what was going on. You know, I think films really kind of live or die on specificity. Uh, you know, pretty much every subject has been touched on at this point. Nobody's completely breaking the ground of originality. So I think to make something good, it really has to be specific. Um, but I, I guess, you know, I think I was really looking for sort of to accentuate humanity. And, and I mean, I guess that's what I try to do with every film, but in her case, you know, the complete vulnerability that sort of was, was <clears throat> causing her to become this sort of belligerent um, and, and pain, painkiller addicted woman, you know, who's sort of unrecognizable from her life before. Um, you know, I obviously thought it was a fascinating challenge to get to, shoot Jen Aniston, you know, not as a comedic or, or, or sort of beautiful character. Um, you know, there was a real vulnerability to the woman she played in the film. And so that was kind of, you know, a cool opportunity. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to compliment you on that, that there was, cause I was in kind of in high school during friends and she was like my biggest crush on the planet. And so it, and then I saw Almost Famous and Kate Hudson's the only woman I would marry. No offense if you know her. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) sorry, I sound like I'm, I didn't mean for the stupid male to take over anyway. Um, So Jennifer Aniston, what you just said was what I loved so much about that movie when I first saw it was it was, I, I didn't notice her attractiveness. I didn't, you know, it was just purely what she's going through. And I think you brought up a good point. And of course, the movie has a good point where now it's just so quick to say people are doing these things and nobody's looking at the at the pain or the vulnerability or the and not that it condones that it. it's not saying, OK, your son dies to so just go off and do all this. But you guys really, really pulled that off well in showing that there was some kind of reason and humanity behind it. And it wasn't to just, you know, drink wine and be with the pool boy, you know? Yeah, no. And, and it's interesting cake. I've been, I've been thinking about, or it's sort of, I I revisited it recently in as much as I now have a son. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, wow, this is such a powerful performance by somebody who hasn't, you know, who isn't a mother herself. Um, but now that I'm a mother too, I, I, or now that I am a mother, I guess I realized just the extent of, of what Jen was able to channel. Um, I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, I don't know if I even could have actually shot the film in the same way had I had my child at the time. Um, I don't know. It's interesting sometimes when you revisit projects in hindsight. 
That's very interesting. I'm, I don't know anybody who's not a Sidney Lumet fan, but I know his big thing is, is that a film's not a film if it's not self-revelation. Um, and I just always like to quote Lumet because it makes me sound cool. But um, by the way, do you have a favorite I mean, Lumet movie? Oh God. Uh, no, I, I hate the, I, I, I hate the favorite anything questions because I, I always, it's like, I, I get flooded. Well, I just like, I get flooded with, uh, <laughs> references and then I can't choose between any of them. And it shows just how ultimately indecisive I am. That's a good point. Favorite is I should have known because I, people will ask me that. And I, and I, I say it might be different next Thursday. So yeah. maybe, yeah, yeah, it's very, so, yeah, yeah, that's, thank you for, thank you for letting me know that that's a good way to reword it. Usually what I, usually what I tell that, guests is, go ahead. I was going to say that quote is kind of great because I feel like that goes to speak, not just for the director, but, and I guess that's sort of what I was getting at in terms of how I choose my projects and kind of what I'm drawn to these days is, is, you know, you want something that's transformative in some way, even for department heads and even probably for the below line crew. I mean, I know there's something really satisfying for the third electric to, to shoot something that they can be proud of at the end of the day. Yes. That, you know, thank you for saying that because uh, one of the, you know, one of the things we've also done with this show is we've had, we'll have anyone as a guest. So we say that with the sense that I literally have a goal to have a craft services guy on the show. Um, I would interview a PA. I just haven't found one yet that wants to come on because they have that, like, you know, um, but like you were saying, it's, uh, I mean, I got to PA, I was so fortunate. I'm not into awards. I got to PA a film that was nominated for best picture and, and won an Oscar for screenplay. And it was like kind of sitting at the monitor with one of your favorite film directors. It was just kind of like, you know, why is he letting me sit at the monitor with him? You know, it was just one of those like, I remember just going home being like, okay, I can retire, you know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, what, yeah. you know, uh, and no, it was just a difference they, when, right. Yeah. When, when that, everybody can yeah. be involved. Yeah. Um, so you had, you had said the limited resources, did you guys have a, on Mudbound, did you have, uh, I mean, was it a smaller crew or was it your normal 150 or, it was, it, it wasn't so much that it was, I mean, it was, I think it was tier two, um, which I, I believe is the five to 10 tier. And now it's the six to 12. Who knows? I can't keep up, but you know, it was that middle tier where it, if it had been a simpler production, I think we would have kind of coasted by with everything we needed. But once you see the film, you'll sort of see all the complications from, I mean, the biggest probably just being the elements that there's, you know, rain and lightning and mud and all of these things are built into it. And then you obviously, the second you add period to something in that budget range, that's where a lot of your budget goes. So suddenly, you know, you can't afford a technocrane every day because you need period wardrobe and you need extras and all of these things. Um, but, you know, in our case, there was also war scenes and, you know, it's things that 
if you, you know, Dunkirk was what, a hundred million dollars or something. I mean, granted, it's a, much more a study about the war itself and it's everything is in, you know, incredible detail and, and all of that. But, you know, we still needed a few days of that and, and a few days of, you know, a few days of, of urban life in the 19, late thirties, early forties and all of these things that just kind of that add up. And so by the end of it, it just feels like you're racing to the finish because there's not quite enough time in the day. And and part of that also is just the number of different storylines. And so we had a lot of smaller scenes, you know, sometimes you can kind of make up for a shorter shooting schedule when you have everything taking place between, you know, two characters or, or on one location or things like that, where you can kind of make up some, some of the, the days because they're simple. But in our case, you know, there are very few scenes there are very few scenes with with less than a few characters, and so there's it's just a lot, you know. In the end, it's it's to do that in 29 days is quite challenging. Well, yeah, the uh, and just what you were saying about Marvel, uh, the one of the creators of our show does uh, visual effects, and he did the Avengers, and um, he's done multiple movies, and uh, so uh, he's my film school roommate and it's funny because I can never know what he's working on. So I can never support it until the day it comes out. And then I get the email, you know, Oh, this is coming out tomorrow. This is what I've been working on. And so, uh, you know, I did Godzilla and fast and the furious. So I went, when I looked up black Panther before I clicked on it, I thought you had done a Huey P Newton movie. And I was like, I was like, yes, I was like, oh, I hope she's talkative. I love Huey P. Newton. I don't care that anybody loves, I love Huey P. Newton. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I was like, she's got Nina Simone. She's got World War II. Now we're going to get into Huey P. Newton. And I clicked on it. And no offense, I was like, Marvel. And I thought, yeah, I think my family... Okay. For what it's worth, I think my family were all in the same boat. When I first, you know, when they said, sort of, what are you doing now? And I said, Black Panther, they all naturally assumed, I think, just from my trajectory and what I've shown interested in the past, that I was making a film about the Black Panthers. Um, and so I sort of had to, one by one, kind of let let them down gently. Although now I think <laughs> they're, you know, equally excited once they realize, you know, what a big deal it is in its own right. And that, you know, hopefully this will be a superhero movie, unlike other superhero movies. Well, no, we got no. We congratulate you the same. Huey P. Newton is just one of my heroes, and um, so the our co-producer. I emailed him. I said it's uh, it's. I said I don't know anything. I said what is Black Panther, and he just wrote me back an email that said it's huge. You you won't be able to ask anything. So I said, yeah. okay, I said, I understand. I go, Marvel, I get it. I said, but yeah, no, we, we still wish you uh, complete luck with that. And that's, that's very exciting. Now in our, in our last couple of minutes, we have two questions that we like to ask uh, every guest if, if you're still open to it. Okay. The first question, you have your script, you have your budget, everything works. Uh, what's your dream genre? The one you want to do? <clears throat> Sorry, you're saying if 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 I have uh, my choice at anything, what, what do I want to do? 
Yeah, you have your choice of anything. You got the the script, the budget, the director. Everything's gonna work. I, I you mean, can do a. I think I'm a I'm a drama girl at heart. I mean, it's, I really love them. Like I I, I um. You know, there are a couple, there maybe there are a couple of genres that I haven't tried that I would be interested in, like sci-fi, but really, you know, sort of at the end of the day, I would want to be a, a character drama sci-fi. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it always comes back to drama for me. I I don't know what it is about every single ASC member has answered with sci-fi. And I know that... Probably because, I mean, because it's a chance to, to break some rules and have it still be sort of justified in the context of what you're doing. I mean, Blade Runner is the perfect example, you know, it's like nothing, the colors that the colors are not of this world that we know, but they're of the world that it's set in. And so you can kind of, you've almost like free reign to try anything. Right. Well, you know, the problem is I have epilepsy. So I, so with my friend who does effects films, I can like, I went to Godzilla. I, I I usually can't watch his films because those things can trigger an episode. And so I didn't get to see the new Blade Runner. And it's so frustrating because to not see anything Roger Deakins does is like, you feel like you're being left out of the party. Um, do you think you could, do you think you could go? And then if it seems like a scene could, pre- could present, you know, a trigger then then just leave for that scene or is it just better not to even risk it well no you know what's funny is i've done the walking in the lobby and i've done the closing my eyes but once i walk in the theater it's like an alcoholic walking in the bar so it's right, like right. you know you get kicked out or you go home drunk <laughs> so um, i'm trying to think I, if uh if I think it would trigger it. I mean, I, I guess I, I need to know more about the, the details, but I mean, that is, it is just like, it's such a, it's so, you know, it's candy for the eye. I mean, it's, it's oh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, Roger, Roger Deakins is, I mean, he's, I, I, I walked up to him once at a dinner and I've never seen such a laid back guy who's, you know, the guy and, it was just so funny because I just, I got about three feet from him. And I thought, you know what? All I've done is seen everybody talking to him. I'm just going to let him be with his wife. And he kind of yeah. caught my eye and he just, he just, I saw him kind of give me this look like, thank you. And I thought, right, okay, right. well, my story in life is I didn't get to talk to Roger Deakins. I got to thank you for not talking to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the last question uh, is, the lights are off. Let's take out that now you have a child. So pre pre child, uh, lights are off. You haven't eaten in a week. Car's going to get repossessed, but there's no way in heck you're doing this genre or this, but everything works, This you know, but there, you're just not going to do this genre. You want nothing to do with it. Wait, I, I'm not sure that I understand the question. Sorry. Like, like you're, you're before you had a child, like your oh, past you're past. Oh, you're saying this thing, this, where I, where I draw the line. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The, op- the, the, yeah, so the, the line I the will not cross. Okay. Yeah. Just like you would never do this genre. You know, no way. Here. It's an, it's an interesting answer for me because it's something that is actually incredibly cinematic but I just, I can't do it because I can't watch them. And that's horror. I've been offered really interesting from a visual perspective, you know, really incredible opportunities to shoot 
kind of crazy character. I mean, horror as a character study can be fascinating. And I really do appreciate cinematically what, you know, what I know of them, but I am just not the audience for it. I get, I'm such a, a horror wimp that not only could I not watch references, you know, I have no perspective uh, having pretty much never seen a horror film, um, which, you know, I've made it, I've forced myself to make it through a few of the classics sort of with a lot of stop starting, but the, uh, that's a genre that I almost, I just, I kind of say no before I even look at the script. And, and, and sometimes I know that like, they're going to be amazing. I mean, I, one of my friends is, um, Hans Ritter, who who produced uh, the Annabelle, you know, and that was one that he put in my hands. And I just said, you know, I'm sure this is great. I know you wouldn't do anything that isn't. And yet I just, I can't. Um, so that's, that's the line I pretty much don't cross. Okay. Horror. Okay. I'm sorry. I forgot. I meant to ask this question sure. and feel free to answer it in 20 seconds. We got six minutes left. You shot some of Oprah's masterclass. I'm a guy mm-hmm. who you could put me in a room full of every celebrity on the planet. And I probably would not care other than to just talk to them as people, but you shot Sydney Portier. Yeah. I'm going to shut up. Well, Please tell me anything you can tell me. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's exactly what, what you would imagine. You know, you feel like you're in the room with a, with a legend and I mean, that's probably how you felt about whether or not to approach Deacons. You know, I could have sort of, I could have cornered him and, and, and talked to him for as long as he would have let me. But I think I also had so much respect for him that I, I figured I would let him do, you know, what he needed to for the show and, and not, you know, not trouble him a minute, a minute more. But yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, a, a legend. He had, and, and I assume he's as kind as Oh yeah. you see yeah, on I TV mean, and interviews. I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, some people you can tell just, you get such a vibe just from their smile, you know, and, and I think he's somebody whose who's smile did not lie, um, you know, the wisdom and the kindness. Well, when I, when I just want to say last, before we close up the show, when I was 19 and started studying classic film and getting into film and watching it daily and my grandma said I needed to watch Alfred Hitchcock, Billy Wilder, and Sidney Poitier. And I, and I said, why? She said, Billy, Billy Wilder will teach you, will teach you dialogue. Alfred Hitchcock will teach you how to make a movie people talk about. And with Sidney Poitier, you will never have as hard of a time getting in the business or staying in the business. And so I always had a respect for that, that my grandma kind of said, you think you ever have a hard time then think of being a guy who they didn't want to let. I've heard him tell stories about how they thought he was like cleaning crew and didn't want to let him go through the gates. And uh, so, yeah. So yeah, you got to love Sydney. Which, uh, go ahead. which is, which is, uh, which is scarily still true. I mean, I, I, you know, yeah. I've done a lot of work on, on films where it isn't the typical white male director and it, it, that never, that never stops. I mean, I was at Cannes when, you know, I think it was Octavia Spencer. We, we couldn't, she had a hard time getting into a party for her own film. And, you know, I was, and even the other day I got into the the van to go to set with the first AD it is on, on Panther and we're both female. And the, the driver sort of said, you know, at some point she's like, what are we waiting on? We're late. And he's like, I'm waiting for the DP and the first AD. And we were like, That's oh. us. you can leave. 
Um, but that that just that never changes. I mean, it's I hope I hope I wasn't laughing at you. I was just saying, yeah, transportation captains that in my experience are either totally cool or they're fucking idiots. But go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) No, no. I was just saying that, you know, he's people like like Sydney have broken down a lot of barriers and yet the barriers seem endless. Um, Yes. I guess I should just keep breaking them down. Yeah, exactly. And and thank you so much for sharing with us. We we wish you the best of luck with Black Panther. We 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 extend this to every guest, but we know guest PR reps and they go off into the world, but the show anybody who's ever been on it is is welcome back. We do panels, we just talk film. We don't do where shows have to be serious. We your show number 252, so uh, we just love to do this for the love of film and uh, we just get fortunate that we have people like Meredith. So thank you, Meredith, for another wonderful <laughs> guest. And, and thank you awesome. for your time thank today, you. Rachel. You have a wonderful day. Oh. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So exciting. Whenever we talk with these, I just love talking with ASC members. They're always just to the point. There's no baloney. They always have something interesting to say. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of From the Archives. I really enjoyed listening to this one. I remember how much I enjoyed talking with Rachel that day, and uh, the feeling did not go away, the joy, and um, just it was, was so great just to think about what's went on for her since and how she's become a director, and it's just it was really great to revisit this. Hope you guys have a great day. You know our motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.